Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Advocacy Group, uh, Lori LeBay. Today is going to be a great show. We're going to be talking about a new film that is uh, launching, and then we've got a wonderful author here who's going to share her journey uh, that she had through dementia uh, regarding her mother and uh, in becoming a mother. So it's a it's a very interesting story. I think both of these you'll find very compelling. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We're located here in Minnesota in the Twin Cities, but uh, we like our voice to be heard around the world, and we know that you're sharing it uh, due to the fact that we were named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's uh, according to Share Care in Dr. Oz. So I really want to thank everybody for their clicks and likes and tweets and shares. It really makes a huge, huge impact. And, um, you know, we just have to connect and share the knowledge. Um, here on Alzheimer's Speaks, we really believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge that's available to us and having these everyday conversations like we have on the radio about dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those uh, live a much better life with disease, um, as well as those that are caring for them. Uh, we all deserve to live purpose-filled lives. And it's really been an honor and a privilege uh, to, to be in this role um, and to be able to meet so many fantastic people and hear of so many resources, products, uh, services, and tools that are out there um, that I know I sure didn't know about on my own journey with my mother for, for you know, 30 years. Um, so I, I know the value of of sharing the knowledge. So again, I want to thank you. Um, if you haven't liked our homepage, if you can please do that. We've got a couple of different uh, pages on Facebook as well that you can like too. And uh, again, um, just sharing that knowledge. You never know who in your sphere of influence is in need because so many times people don't talk about um, dementia because of the embarrassment and the shame, and, and we have to rule that out. We've got to get rid of that um, and make people uh, comfortable uh, having this conversation so that we can get them to the resources that are out there. I do invite everyone to join the conversation, and you can do that in a couple of different forms. You can call in live to the show at 714 364 4757. That's 714 364 4757. Or you can utilize the chat box 
And, um, you know, I will be monitoring that uh, throughout the show. And we can have a conversation um, in that format as well. So either way works works just uh, just perfectly fine. Uh, before I introduce our guest, and we're still waiting for him to be able to connect, um, he's coming from India, and so we're really excited to have him on. But it, it complicates things a little bit with uh, with our blog talk radio because he has to get on Skype, and it gets a little bit more complicated in in terms of process there. So I know he'll be with us shortly. I know he's there, so he's just maneuvering the ropes. So in the meantime, I'm going to just do a shout out um, to some of my favorite organizations um, that I think are really helpful for people. Um, The Alzheimer's Disease International um, is the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So no matter where you are, you can go to ADI and find the information that will help you uh, find maybe a support group or uh, maybe it's a counseling service or just general information. Um, ADI also has all of the global information and updates and research. So it's a fascinating uh, place to to be able to gather and uh, sift through data. The Purple Angel Project, very close to my heart, uh, Norms McNamara and um, Jane Moore, really getting this purple angel out. It's the new global symbol for dementia. It is available not only to organizations and and um, and communities, but also to individuals to be able to use this symbol. And if you're interested in that, you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and go to, go to our about page. And um, from there, you just click on the purple angel. You'll get some data, and I'll be more than glad to share information uh, for you. I feel like I got a little frog in my throat here this morning. Not quite sure what's going on, so bear with me. Um, with the Purple Angel, we are in the process of updating the poster to be kind of U.S. friendly, and Alzheimer's Speaks is going to be the U.S. launch for that. So we're getting close to uh, to getting that all formulated. So just to let you know that, very, very excited about that. If there are any uh, corporations out there that would like to be a corporate sponsor, of the Purple Angel, please get a hold of me because we are looking for uh, some funding so that we can help get stickers and things out there. We've got a couple of people in the works, but we're always looking for more. So please reach out to me at Lori at AlzheimersSpeaks.com. Also would like to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They are uh, an absolutely fantastic association um, that will give you information on more of a holistic approach. So their pillars are really about exercise and food and meditation. Um, They do some great educational formats that I think will be uh, very, very helpful. And... um, and then also, don't forget about the Lewy Body uh, part, uh, Association. The Lewy Body Association is the specific association uh, for that particular uh, type of dementia, and they're just loaded with great, great information there. So 
Um, check them out. You may be dealing with frontal temporal uh, degeneration or dementia. And again, there are groups out there for that. There's also the National Aphasia Association, which um, deals when people are having a difficult time with their speech. And they have some great ideas for that. Um, Many times we're looking for ways to connect with people. And I know with my own mother, music was just a fabulous way to engage with her, even in her end stages of the disease. That music still, you could see it just ignite in her eyes where there was a connection and a memory attached to that. And Music First with Coral Health has kind of prescriptions for um, for music that can help change our mood. It can elevate us to wake up in the morning or put us to sleep or help us eat or calm down. Um, so music's a great, great trigger um, for us and it's one of those things that I think is very undervalued. So check out Music First with Coral Health and I'm just going to spell Coral. Um, C-O-R-O Coral Health. Um, puzzle with me with uh, with Jane Snyder. She's just done some wonderful things. Again, um, had a family member with dementia and decided that you know they liked puzzles, but the puzzles were just too big in terms of number of pieces and too small. And so she's made. Um, puzzles that are more adult appropriate as well as larger pieces and fewer pieces so they're easier for people to be able to deal with. Jiminy Wickets uh, is a croquet game uh, which has been adapted by James Creasy and again is a wonderful, wonderful way for people to be able to to connect um, and actually to be able to use this on an intergenerational level as well. And so that's very, very fun to be able to to see that at play as well. We're still waiting for our um, first guest to call in, but in the meantime here, I'm going to go ahead and pull in Michelle. Uh, Michelle is our intern at Alzheimer's Speaks. How are you doing today, Michelle? Good, thanks for having me. Well, good. Anything anything new with you going on? Not a whole lot. Working on grad school applications and working. Okay. Do you know which schools you want to get into? Which ones are, because um, you're going for gerontology for your master's, correct? Yep. I'm. Okay. Uh, the ones I'm applying to right now are Mankato, um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the University of Minnesota. Okay. Okay. Well, that'll be very, very exciting um, for you to take that, take that next leap, um, and that'll be a wonderful, wonderful step for you. For those of you that don't know Michelle, she um, she's a pretty amazing individual. She uh, writes for our blog. She um, also has opened up a memory cafe, so she's just taken a lot of initiatives, um, and so it's just uh, it's just been very, very fun to to uh to watch her step through things and um and maneuver her way. She works down at um what is it, uh Northfield uh Senior the Center. Northfield Senior Center, yep. 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 So I think in the meantime, while we're uh, waiting for Vishal to see if he can connect, he seems to be getting an error, so we'll just have to have him keep trying. Um, it's 
it's kind of a complicated system to click on the Skype button, and then there's a bunch of buttons that pop up, and he should be able to get in. So um, we'll we'll just keep watching for for things um, with him. But in the meantime, one of the things that I would like to um, bring up and um, We'll see if we can uh if we can come to uh you know any thought process on this um i I recently had a friend whose sister went missing, you know, and wandering is such a big issue when it comes to dementia and um you know she wandered away from an assisted living, and what shocked me here, and this was in Minnesota, there doesn't seem to be any protocols. Uh, for a missing vulnerable adult. And I'm just wondering if any of our listeners out there have run into this situation or are familiar with it in their town. I have been absolutely flabbergasted. Um, This woman has now been missing for 13 days. Um, A press release and posters didn't even get out till I think day 10, 9 or 10. And um, it just seems very strange to me you know she needs medications that she's not on and and um i would i would love to hear from any any listeners if you have run into that situation at all if anyone has any any comment on that how how a missing person is dealt with in in their own community and um while we're waiting to see if any listeners um you know, call in or, or make some comments. Michelle, have you run into that before? Uh, you know, I my grandpa got away, walked away once, but he got stuck in the elevator. So they mm-hmm. called my mom, let him know that they couldn't find him. But within, you know, a short amount of time, someone said there's someone in the elevator just kind of riding it, and it was my grandpa. But other than that, I haven't, not personally at least, I haven't, um, experienced it did they at least notify the family right away well they they notified the family um and that was about it and apparently assisted livings just need to call the police to report it and mm-hmm. a- after that that's about it and you know i had gone up i was i was traveling i was out of town and um i ended up going up to this town with uh with my friend, and I was kind of surprised how many people hadn't been informed that she was missing, like social worker and her um, rep payee, where she gets her money from, or her bank or her doctor. And I just thought, what's going on? Why, why you know, these are key people, and um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, homeless in the in this particular area and it's a very sprawled out area as well and um you know there's just so many different variables of of what could happen to somebody we started you know playing out you know did she want to leave and does she not want to be found you know mm-hmm. um is she still in the state did she walk away and maybe fall and get hurt and nobody knows, or, you know, did she have a heart attack, or did she get abducted? I mean, there's so many different variables out there, and it was mm-hmm. um, it was really quite shocking um, to me, the, the lack of, um, the lack of protocol 
to be put in place and the the burden that's really placed on a very stressed family situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important for people to have the conversation about this. You know, what is uh what is going on and and how does it come into play? And um like I said, I, I've been in healthcare for you know, a long, long time, and, you know, that we've got the Amber Alerts for the kids, and that seems to work really well, and Mm -hmm. I know that there's Silver Alerts out there, and I thought everybody had the Silver Alerts, and so I'm kind of on a mission now um, to really do some some heavy checking and start talking about this, because, you know, um, it's just, you can't wait that long when somebody's missing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then in the heat, you know, we've had just extreme heat and humidity here too um when she was first missing i mean somebody could get dehydrated and i mean the list just kind of goes on and on and on and um just a very very sad sad situation you know with all of that so um uh, maybe that's something you can do a paper on there michelle when you get into grad maybe. school and change the world you, you you pick up issues and kind of go after them so that might be a good one you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. that would that would be wonderful well i've uh told uh, vishal to see if he can close out and come back in and um he said that he can uh, see the skype button and he can hear us but um he said he's getting an air so i don't really quite know what is going on there so we'll just continue to kind of fill air and hopefully he'll be able to get in um when we do these uh with with people out of the country we always do a test and of course the test always works just fine <laughs> and then we go live <laughs> and then there's a little snafu um so we'll just do we'll just do the best we can on that um i think what we'll do is talk a little bit about um I'll give you a, a little bit of information um, about about uh, Vishal here, and um, we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, and he he basically um, is a filmmaker and is uh, is just passionate, you know, about uh, being. Um, being involved in dementia really has seen a need uh for this um he also is loves to paint and he's the chairperson of the cinematic arts production um over in India and then he is the founder of Vishal Natanya Films and um has just uh this film I've I've seen a trailer of it I think it's going to be really quite quite good. He's made a lot of documentaries based on social and environmental issues. One was called Farmer in the High-Tech World and that was uh that was received really well and then in 2011 he made a film called uh Casa which won the Best of Festival along with Best Story Award by the 6 CMS um association. So his uh He's done just a lot of uh, a nice variety of things, which is just uh, just fantastic that uh, he is he's able to uh, to participate and do things in. So uh, very very fun, um, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to connect with him 
with him shortly. Um, Michelle, can you talk a little bit about your memory cafe and how that's been going since you just started? You know, what was that like to go through that process and and um, tell people, you know, how long you've been doing it and um, mm-hmm. and what kind of response you're getting? Yep. Um, I think in a couple of weeks it'll be our fourth meeting, so four months now. Um, our numbers have had held pretty steady at about 12 now for the last few meetings. Um, we've had really good discussion right off the bat. Uh, that was probably my biggest fear starting it was that I'd get a group that didn't talk very much, which doesn't seem to be a problem in my group. Um but yeah, they they love it. They really want more people to join, and we've already um, done some hard hitting issues uh, like donating your body to science and stuff. So it's it's going really well, I think. Um, I don't know. We're gonna promote it a little more and see if we can get some more people. And we have uh, a couple of people who want to split into a, another group, but it would be too, way too small at this point. So if anyone's interested. We're in Northfield, and we meet the third Wednesday. Wonderful. I was just at the Episcopal Homes here in St. Paul, and they just rolled out their cafe yesterday. And so that Mm -hmm. was fun. And they had, um, I want to say there was close to a dozen people for the first one. So that was that was really exciting again to to be able to see uh see them hold that kind of space and um it was, it was fun to be there for the for the first kickoff, you know. Um mm-hmm. it's just it's just always just for me such an honor to to be involved with that. Very 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 fun. Um I do have a comment from uh Salish who's uh over in India and he's just doing some fascinating work over there and he just said he's he's so excited for this film because it's such a good media to create mass awareness and he said it's really uh in India they really need a full-fledged film on Alzheimer's to reach out to families and um um, and thinks that it will really, really help. Uh, Vishal is getting back to me. He says he's still trying, seems to be in air. Um, so I'm kind of reading his notes as I go here. We'll, we'll kind of see. Um, Vishal, you don't, you do not need to register. Remember, just click through those boxes um, because you already have, you already have Skype. So just keep clicking yes, and it should plug you right through. So uh, just keep trying on that. Um, let's see. Uh, Salisha is saying that there is uh, there was a, a big film called uh, Tatmatra, um, and it was in a in a different language, which created a big wake of awareness, which was which was great. And so I think the more that is out there, you know, the better. Um, Salisha is just doing such wonderful, wonderful um, work over there in India. Um, it's just kind of amazing uh, what all he has he has been able to accomplish and um, and done. And Salish, uh, please feel free to to ask any questions you know that you want. He works with the Silver Inning Foundation, um, and he's a geriatric uh, consultant uh, for them. So uh, just does. Um, Again, fantastic work. It's been fun to watch him on Facebook. What he, uh, what all he is doing over there. So I'm just going to look at our chat box here and see if we've got any other 
comments. Looks like we got a, a lot of people out here, but we got a little sleepy group. Not uh, we can kind of do a little open mic session here if people have some topics that they want to talk about um, until we can get uh, until we can get our guest online here. Otherwise, we'll, we'll have to fill air here for 40 minutes. Hopefully, he'll be able to get through. I'm not quite sure what the issue is, but, uh, you know, technology at its finest, we we never quite, we never quite know. Um, Salish was saying that in this uh, film that they had over in India, they had a, a big star that acted in the film, and, and that was, uh, you know, that's really, really uh, a great way um, to be able to uh, to connect with the audience, and um, I guess he's actually talking to uh, regarding Vishal's um, film, and uh, that's gonna he feels will really help them reach a larger audience. So that's that's absolutely fantastic. Um, has anybody in our audience gone to see or or is going to see um, the new Alive? Um, movie that's launching that's the one with the i the iPads um that's out I know it's coming to Minnesota here um mid August and I I plan on seeing that I've seen the many of us have seen the short videos um with an elderly man who is you know pretty um disconnected and then they put the the headsets on him and have him listen to music and he's doing jazz and talking in full sentences and getting a big smile on his face um so i'm I'm looking forward to the full length film on that one. I think that'll be absolutely fabulous. Are you planning on on going to that at all um michelle to to be able I to see that heard of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to put it on the blog again. I, I know I put it out a while ago, but they hadn't um, listed where they. I think they were still lining up all the studios where it will be. Mm-hmm. Now, there seems to be a nice shift in terms of elevation of the disease, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of fun, creative things are are coming to be. In fact, um, speaking of creative, if uh, if you didn't listen to last week's show, that was really quite interesting. Um, we had uh, Gary uh, Glazner on uh, with the Poetry Project and Dementia Arts, and he has a new book out um, about dementia arts and just, you know, how fun um, that it can all be. So, uh it's uh the book is is quite good it's got a lot of um great examples or what he calls recipes um to um to engage people and so that's uh that's a great great thing <laughs> there um Salish is just saying that it'll be nice to have small sequence of um of the film to be shown in different places to start to get people inter- uh interested and it'll be nice to have some subtitles with the film so it will have a have a larger reach which which I agree um that would be that would be absolutely wonderful to be able to do that. Um, Silver Inning Foundation has opened, uh, he said, a new 24-7 dementia home in um, Mumbai. So that's that's really exciting. Um, like I said, Salish has been doing just a ton of, ton of work here. Let me, um, I'm going to go ahead and pull in our second guest. We're just going to change things up here a little bit. So I've got Anne on the line. 
I believe. Let me see if we can get her with us. Anne, are you there? I am. Hey, Lori. I've been listening. Uh-huh. I should call in just in case you wanted to change things around a little bit. That is that is absolutely wonderful, and I so appreciate you doing that. Let me just introduce Anne uh, to our audience here. Uh, Anne Campanella is the author of the memoir uh, Motherhood, Lost and Found. Um, she was formerly a magazine and newspaper editor, and her writing has appeared in local and national um, publications and literary journals uh, to best-selling um, a best-selling uh, series called A Cup of Comfort. Um, she's also a poet, and her poetry has been featured on Garrison Keillor, um, which is pretty cool, and the Writer's Almanac, and twice she's received the Poet Laureate Award from the North Carolina Poetry Association. Uh, Society. She's got a degree in English literature from the Davidson uh, College, and she lives on a small horse farm in North Carolina with her family. So, so welcome, Anne. I appreciate you calling in as we're scrambling here, trying to get uh, poor Felicia on the line, and hopefully it'll still work out here. But uh, in the meantime, let's uh, let's talk about you. Can you tell us? Um, you know how how you landed in in the the space of dementia. Can you give us a little background on yourself? Sure, I would be glad to. Um, I never dreamed that I would land in this space. Um, I sort of imagined that my mother, who the, my book is about, uh, would just go on into old age, and we would have a wonderful relationship and continue things as they were with her slightly declining. Um, but all of a sudden, at the age of um, early 70s, she just began to show some strange signs. Um, I had no idea what was going on. This was in the early 1990s, and there really was not a lot of um, material out there, not a lot of resources. Um, and so gradually, as she had more and more symptoms of all these strange behaviors, um, I I just began journaling about it. Um, I was with her, caring for her some of the time. My siblings were gathered around, and my father was um, at his wit's end trying to figure out what was going on. And um, just over time, we eventually realized that we needed to get her into a hospital and uh, as things sort of began to fall apart and we had her diagnosed. And then we just sort of watched things unravel gradually. And um, at the same time, I think we came together as a family and began to realize that there were gifts in in this very slow um situation of losing someone that we loved. Yeah, it's it is one of those things that I don't think anybody wishes to land in, that's for sure. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. And um I I, 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 I oh, oh go ahead. I, I didn't mention that at the same time I was trying to become pregnant. Um and I was mm-hmm. going through a period of infertility and this was a, a 
at least a 10-year, maybe a 14-year period where I was I really wanted to become a mother. In fact, my husband and I had moved back to North Carolina after being away, and my parents lived on the coast, and we were um, sort of in central North Carolina. And I envisioned being able to share my family with my parents and um, just seeing them as wonderful grandparents. And then all of a sudden I was in this position of caring for my mom and yet wanting to be a mother and all of the emotions of um, losing her and not being able to be a mother easily um, just sort of multiplied exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, that is is a difficult difficult time. And when you're talking about you know infertility, you know they always say you know don't be stressed. You know. <laughs> Right. And then you then you land in the world of stress. It just makes it so I would imagine so so much more difficult and and so many unknowns um, with everything that has to be very 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 difficult uh, uh, period of time that that you were in. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your memoir? And um, you know what it was like for you to to lose your mom. You know, at the same time you're you're trying to become a mom yourself, and and um, in in struggling through kind of the the series of life, you know, as a whole. Can you give us some examples of what that was like? Sure. Um, one of the things. Um, you know, trying to be a mother or wanting to be a mother and seeing my mother uh, decline made the idea of motherhood um, not quite as appealing and mm-hmm. also more appealing. Um, it wasn't appealing because I, I saw just the difficulty and the grief of losing her step by step. But the appeal came because I also saw the incredible depth of bonds that we had, you know, despite her her changes and her um, un, uh, unexpected behaviors. It was just so clear that I wanted to be there, as the rest of my family did, for her every step of this journey. I wasn't mm-hmm. repelled. I was pulled closer. And then when I actually uh, was successful and had a daughter, it just so happened that my mother, she had been 40 when she had me, and I was 40 when I had my daughter. So I was in the middle of this age continuum, and everything that I was doing for my mother, I was actually doing for my daughter. I was clipping fingernails. I was feeding. I was changing diapers for both of them, um, brushing teeth, wiping their mouths, um, all these little tiny things that you do. And so each each moment was sort of intensified because I would think it was very possible that my daughter could one day be in my position and everything I was doing for my mother, my daughter might be doing for me. So there was almost this telescoping that just was happening as I was 
going through my days, and it just brought an intensity and a focus that, not that I always handled it well, but it made me have the intention of wanting to leave something beautiful despite the difficulty of this journey. Yeah, it's it's just such an overwhelming process here. Um, and if you don't mind, we finally have um, Michelle on the line. Can I can I put you on hold and then pull you back in for the for the second portion? Would that be okay Absolutely. with you? Absolutely. Thank you, no thank you so much. I will see you later. Okay, thank you. Well, Michelle, how, uh, you're here. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> How are you doing? Yes, yes, Lori. <laughs> well, good. Okay, I was just you know, taking the time to connect on Skype with the train. Yeah. Okay. How are you? Uh, doing good. Doing Hello. good. So I'm I'm so glad that we have you. We've got um, it's coming out a little bit, but we'll we'll see what we can do here. Um, why don't you tell us um a little bit about the film? And um, and and why you thought it was important to do this film? Life flows on. You know, Laurie, I was just doing one uh, research on you know on Alzheimer's in India to to make one documentary, you know, and then I realized that you know it's, it's um, the situation is quite very serious, you know, and uh, when I realized that 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 two of uh, the government sector and policy makers towards this uh, you know, issue. Then I, I decided to make the film on it. And uh, because in 2010, according to the government census in India, it's uh, 3.1 million people have Alzheimer's in India. Uh, and you know, the census is also like questionable because in rural India there is no setup of like, you no, know, because we have, don't have that much setup of uh, healthcare to 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 trace out how you know, how many people there, you know. Uh, Vishal, can you yeah. repeat that last sentence? Because it really cut out. Your connection must not be real strong. So, but if you can if you can try to just repeat that for us, that would be great. Yeah, I was in rural area. The situation is quite serious because you know, we don't have set. You know, we don't have healthcare set to trace out. How many actual, you know, how many actual, uh, you know, um, the data, what is the actual data of Alzheimer's uh, patients in India? Besides that, there are different kind of dementia patients, you know, and uh, there is no, Alzheimer's um, is quite a popular word, but there is no uh, system trace out uh, different kind of dementia patients. And uh, because we don't have like much, uh, only 600 in our whole country. And the rolling neurotic like healthcare, all this uh, healthcare is quite in a struggle case. And uh, you know, this, uh, the government sector they, they always talk like that that why to invest money on uh, uh, non-productive people, you know, because think that uh, after 60 people become non-productive. So that uh-huh. that that would give an energy to make this full. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that attitude, um, you know, that that negative attitude of there. Yep. Um, Michelle, yeah, I got a question story. for you. Do did you do you have your headphones on by chance? Because we're we're just getting some feedback. It's kind of cutting in and out, and I'm just wondering if your headset would help. Um, 
with that at all. I know Salish is saying that there are 3.5 million people with dementia um, over there. And um, he said that there really isn't much for, for government support. Um, but do you have your headset? Vishal? Oh, he dropped off. We lost him. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure. His conne- his connection was not very strong, and I apologize for that. We can't, uh, when we're dealing uh, with this, well, I'm sure he'll be calling calling back in here. I'm going to just go um, jump back to some comments that Salish was um, making. Um, he was just noting that uh, for him, you know, this has been a struggle of life learning. You know, um, he feels that Alzheimer's and dementia is one of the toughest diseases of mankind. It's not just the brain. It's about memory loss. It's about failure of activity of daily living and mood swings and language and grooming and incontinence and mobility. He says it's even more difficult in a country like India, not only due to the lack of awareness, but because of the diversity of their nation in terms of language and culture and religion and tradition and food habits and educational level and, um, you know, quality, he says, um, dressings and gender discrimination, um, community um, class, um, caste. So he said that there's just so many different things that they're dealing with over there. He says, I now understand it's easy to talk and preach, but it's one of the most challenging uh, pieces of work um, to be with somebody uh, with dementia and care for them, you know, coming and um, and visiting and spending the day, um, you know, with their residents at their elder care. Um, he says, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find out for yourself. He he says, I pray to God, please don't give the disease um, to anyone you know it's um you know it's it's um it's just so important for us to to care together and to to understand i i think all of the different um uh cultural um diversities you know that we have that we need to deal with and it sounds like Michelle is back again with us Michelle are you there hello hello lord yeah yeah you are in Okay. Okay. Well, good. Well, we're glad we're glad to have you back. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect in the film? You know, how how long of a film is this? Um, what is it going to cover? The total duration of the film is around one hour, one one hour and forty five minutes. And uh, you know, the film will be quite well, quite uh, like world cinema. Treatment is kind of like a world of treatment, but uh, we do things important in this film, like, you know, we don't dramatize uh, to, to maintain the actuality of the problem, to maintain the technicalities of uh, disease, and, you know, we just want to transfer the actual, the actual uh, awareness, so that uh, we not dramatize uh, things which we should not dramatize. You know, uh, generally, we don't, uh, in, in our film industry, we take issues and we dramatize so much of the level of awareness, you know, it becomes quite mm-hmm. chaotic. So we know, um, we we've never done that in this film. Second thing is, yeah. 
Michelle, I'm wondering you're you're cutting Hello, out like you're cutting out about every other word when you speak, and I'm wondering if when I pose a question, maybe I should have you type your answer out and then I read it because it's it's really really difficult to understand you because the your connection just isn't very strong apparently. Um, and we're we're getting a lot now. It sounds now it sounds like it's faded. So maybe I should have you talk quick and <laughs> see if it works. But there was a lot of interference um, going on. Um, so can you try stating that again? We'll try it one more time. And if not, then I might have you type out your answers and then me read it. But can you tell us um, what people can expect from the film again? Oh, I guess not. I guess we lost them all together. So <laughs> that's why it got quiet. Okay, well, this is just kind of an interesting little little interview process, but we'll just keep plugging along. Um, Salisha is saying that they have really big expectations about the film. Um, one question, he says, why the name is not in um, Hindi Hindi language, a national language, it could have um, an English line. Um, I'm not really sure on that, and we can we can ask uh, uh, Valish uh, or, uh, to let us know on that um, why they chose the the name. And um, you know, once he gets back online again, we'll see. It looks like he's back again. Vishal, how are you doing? You're back with us again? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Vishal, we... Hello? We really... Vishal, we really can't under we really can't understand you. So I think what's best is for you to listen to the show. I'll pose a question and then you respond. And he got cut off again, so he's probably not hearing me once again. Um, and then <laughs> we'll see if we can get our our questions answered. I'm really excited about about the film and the trailer and I want people to know how to be able to to access this. And so I um you know, I hope that we can do this kind of through a through a Skype communication here and um and go that route instead. Michelle, are there any questions that that you were interested in in asking Michelle? Um, Michelle, was there any questions that you were interested in asking Vishal? Uh, what uh, inspired him to make the film? Okay. So we're going to try getting Vishal on one more. Oh, he just he fell off again. He just does not have a good connection. So, Vishal, we really need you just to utilize your uh, chat box um, for Skype. Um, to communicate here, and um, and I don't know if he can even hear any of this or if he's just losing uh, losing everything. <laughs> um, but we will we will still proceed here and see what we can do. And I'm just writing him a note to see if we can answer answer here um, to the to our questions. That might just be 
might just be the best thing. Um, so Alicia's saying um, it will be a good film to be shown on TV channels. And so Alicia, have you seen the film? And I'm communicating through, uh, with uh, Salish through his Skype uh, chat box here. He's over in India as well, and it would be interesting to know if he's if he's seen the whole film or just the trailer of the film. And we'll see if we can get um, if we can <laughs> connect once again with uh, with Vishal. He's got to be so frustrated. I, I just can't believe it. He said, no, he has, he has not seen it yet. Um, so not yet released. I, and, I, and I believe that they were going to be releasing it here shortly, like the 10th of August they were talking about. And I don't know if that is still the, still the game plan or not. Um, Felicia, I'm going to um, see if you are still here. It looks like you are on Skype. And I'm wondering, uh, Michelle had posed a question, wanted to know if you could type out in your Skype chat box what inspired you um, to make the film. So, um, Vishal, if you could answer that, um, what inspired you to to make this film and type that out in the chat box on on Skype? And he might still be battling trying to trying to get on. Here he is again, uh, Vishal. Vishal. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Can, can you hear me? I, okay. We can't hear you. No, we cannot hear you on this. So what I want you to do is just to just to go offline and we'll communicate. You can listen to the show but answer through the Skype chat box because we can't understand you and you keep dropping off. So if you want to go ahead and hang up but listen to the show um, and then type your answers out, that will be the most effective way because we really can't understand you. Okay. 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 So I want you to hang up and then we'll just communicate. Okay. So hopefully um, he was able to hear that if his connection is as bad as it is for us, um, he might be having a difficult time. So um, again, we're going to ask him, uh, you know, what inspired him uh, to, to make the film. And um, and then I'll just have to read his his answer back. Um, so Alicia's saying uh, the audiovisual is a good um, medium to reach out, and it's even good for the for the social cause. So I agree. I I think film and music is just a brilliant brilliant way for for people to be able to connect and um, and to really be able to visualize. They've gotten. Um, from what I've seen in the trailer, there's a couple of different scenarios that I think are quite powerful um, and will help people um, greatly understand some of the uh, some of the needs and the and the differences here. Um, let's see. He's starting to write, so we we might get this. <laughs> we might we might get some answers here here yet and see what's what. Um, so Alicia's just saying um, that Vishal has taken a very bold step. And he has. This has been a project I think he's been working on for about um, three years. He's just noted that 3.7 million people are suffering from the disease. 
um, over in their country. Um, and Vishal, if you can let us know, um, um, what do I want to say? When uh, when the release is actually going to take place? Uh, that would be helpful. And then the um next thing I guess I just want to want to pose is to he says now they're they're gonna they're pushing for a release in September. Um so that'll be good. And as he updates uh, me, I will update everybody through the blog on that. Um how do you think the film can change um can change uh people's attitudes towards the disease? Vishal, how do you think uh, the film can change people's attitudes towards the disease? Let's see. It looks like September 21st, um, uh, Salisha saying would be a good day to do the release because that's World Alzheimer's Day. Um, he said right now they're they are showing how media tools like community radio um, can have an impact, um, which I definitely understand just because of our show here. Um, but it really it really shows, um, I, I think, creativity, but it also shows very um, heartfelt family pieces in terms of, of awareness as well. Um, can you tell us... Um, with the show, um, how do people how do people in the U.S. how are they going to be able to to see the film? How can they how can they help get involved with the film? Salisha uh, is just also noting that um, print media is very valuable as well. So let's see. He said, uh, "Let's see. We're we're showing the film and we're trying to release it worldwide in theaters. So that would be great if any of our listeners have connections to theaters um, or satellite. Um, you know, please. Uh, you can get a hold of me, or you can get a hold of of Vishal directly, and then also um, home DVDs. So they're looking at attacking this from a lot of different angles. And can you?" in terms of what language this will be spoken and will there be subtitles um, with the film? So what language um, is the film going to be in and will there be subtitles, Vishal? And I know this process is a little slower and painful, so I appreciate everybody hanging in there. We again have no control over technology and um and connections when it comes to this. That's part of the deal. Um it's gonna be uh British English, okay. And will there be subtitles at all? And um and some parts let's see are also I don't know, he stopped writing. So, um 
We'll have to see what he's saying here. Um, he says, yes, language. Uh, let's see. Salisha saying, yes, language will be um, important, um, very important over there. He said, titles in British, Engl- in British English, he said. Okay, well... Um, I guess a final question here um, in terms of uh, in terms of the film itself, um, since you don't have a, a, a hard launch date in there, um, is there uh, you know are there things that our audience can do to 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 help you with this film at all? He's also noting that there are some parts that are uh, Hindi and um, some that are British English there. So it'll be a a little bit of a variety on that. Um, Vishal, are there things at all that that our audience can do to help support the film? If you can let us know that, that would be great. And then I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here on the film and again I, I apologize that we had such difficulty and we'll pull Ann back in here um in just a just a moment. They can talk about the film and create buzz. So if our audience is willing to um you know once we have some some solid information for you, I'll push that out and then if you can share that with others that would be great. Um the more chatter we can get the better um, you can go to uh, Vishal's website, which is www. The V is in Victor, N is in um, Nick, um, F is in Fun. dot com. The V N F. dot com, or you can always email uh, Vishal as well at filmmaker. That's F I L M. M A K E R at T H E V N um, F dot com, and um, you know he'd be more than glad to to answer any questions at all that you that you have. Again, the name of the film is Life flows on and again it's a it's a it's a beautiful beautiful film i'm going to go ahead and just put the website here um, in our chat box it's also on our web page i appreciate you trying so hard to connect with us today and i i uh, apologize that the connections uh weren't very strong um for you over there, but keep us posted vishal and we will definitely um push things out as um, as we get the information. And, Salish, I, I want to thank you so much for um, participating, too. Um, you're doing great work over there with Silver Silver Innings and really appreciate, um, really appreciate um, you taking the time to spend with us today. Uh, Vishal is just saying that the film is really about um, three different characters suffering from dementia um, and... Uh, you know, it's totally dedicated to uh, the dementia patients themselves. So, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, very much appreciate it, and um, we will we will keep you posted. So, I'm going to go ahead and pull Anne back into the show here. Anne, are you are you with us? I am. 
I you am. I are. Just, you're just hanging in there with us today. What a yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking how your conversation with Vishal was like a metaphor for communicating with someone with Alzheimer's. You get little snips and pieces, and sometimes you just, sometimes there's some clarity and sometimes there's not, but you just have to go with it. Yep, that's so. all we can do. That's all we can do is just the best we can and and yeah. um, know that that's all we can do, you know. Yeah. So, well, I'm excited to have you back on the line with us again. And, again, I, I apologize for the – the show usually isn't isn't quite like this, but um, <laughs> when, when, we're de- when we're dealing with international, once in a while we have glitches and, yeah, you know. I do understand. I'll, all we could do is the best we could do. So let's get back to your book, um, Motherhood Lost and Found. Um, I found it fascinating. You have a, a, a beautiful writing style. I have to, I have to tell you that. And um, you did just such a, a nice, nice job with your, with your, um, with your memoir. Can you tell us, um, you know, when your mother did first show signs? Um, you know, what were they? And did she notice, or was it more family noticing? You know, how did that all come to play? Um, that's a great question. Um, I guess the family noticed first, um, but my mother was also very aware. Some of the signs were she was more forgetful than usual. I remember um, visiting her at home and she had gotten some messages about missing some doctor's appointments. And that was mm-hmm. not like her. She wasn't the most organized person, but if she made an appointment, she would usually make it. Um, and she also had some phone calls from a friend who was, uh, this friend was a little upset with her because she hadn't met her at a time they were planning to have coffee or get together. And that really upset my mom because, she thought, you know, she's always um, in tune to that kind of thing. She was um, very relationship-oriented. And so those were the first inklings. And then each visit home, I would see different things, like there might be some stacks of towels sitting on the coffee table or in my um, dresser drawer of my childhood room. I'd open it up and one of her shoes might be in there. And so there were just these odd things. And then I noticed my mom being very sort of secretive about some of her papers and uh, like her address book. She would take it and hold it to her tightly and sort of walk around and then look like she was trying to hide it. And I, I, at the time, you know, when I looked back, I I see, oh, those are definite signs. But at the time, I just thought, well, that's strange. Um, But as time went on, my mom did, and this was so heartbreaking, she knew that something wasn't right. And I can remember sitting with her uh, on her bed one day and her just sort of taking my hand and looking in my eyes and saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong, Anne, something... Something is wrong with me, and I don't understand. And I didn't know what was wrong either. And at that time, there was so little information. Um, In fact, I can remember um, sitting, uh, 
crash in my living room around midnight with my laptop on my knees, surfing for any website that had the word Alzheimer's in it. And I was just desperate for somebody else's story because, you know, people didn't talk about this. And it was so rare to just have somebody share. And I guess it was because of the shame and people are just sort of normally private about their uh, older loved ones kind of falling apart. But my mother was actually somebody who would have encouraged conversation about this. And I guess that's one reason I felt comfortable sharing this story, even though parts of it would certainly be embarrassing to her. She was one of the deepest uh, proponents of people who are uh, agree with letting the word out and educating people. And um, she would have said, you know, go for it, Anne. And so... Um, that was really something that encouraged me to to get the book down. And I, I also wanted to share this story because I so wanted to hear somebody else's personal story step by step of how they lived through the loss of somebody that they loved so dearly and you know, step by step, piece by piece, as things are breaking apart. I thought, how does somebody do this? And I didn't know, and I, I wanted that. I thought, well, if I can't find it, maybe I can provide it in some small way for somebody. I don't know. Yeah. If <laughs> no, and and I think it is. It's it. You know, once you're in this space, you really, um, you know, you're there, and you know, you can't change it. But it seems like everybody, you know, that I meet, pretty much wants to help out the next guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. coming in. Yeah. coming into this space which i think is is so nice um you know mm-hmm. that that people care that much because it's it's a painful process um so is asking a question he said can you ask ann to tell us the difference between mother and daughter care you know um what were some of the the good um the good things that maybe came of this and what were the really tough pieces um, and and how did your relationship change? Mm. Um, That is an interesting thing to ponder. The caring for my mother was painful in the sense that there was always a part of me knowing that it could have been different, you know, even though I wanted to live in the moment and be there for her, there was this grief and awareness that she could have been this incredible grandmother that um, that she was before the disease came. Mm-hmm. So that, that was always present. And as I cared for my daughter... There was always there's the hope. My daughter is moving towards life, and my mother is moving towards death. But what was interesting is that the the intersection of caring for both of them, I can remember times that are just so special, and they stay with me. When I would take my daughter to visit my mom, and 
my daughter would be, uh, as a toddler, she'd be fascinated with my mother's wheelchair or the little mm-hmm. stuffed bird that uh, my mother loved to, to pet. And my mother, in the same way, was fascinated with my daughter. And she didn't, usually she didn't know who she was. In fact, sometimes she would say, who's that little boy? Uh, and obviously it was a little girl, and she didn't know it was her own granddaughter. But uh-huh. she, would, she would look at my daughter, and she would, you know, reach out and touch her, and my daughter would look at her, and their eyes would meet. And it was as if they knew they connected to each other, but neither of them had the words to say it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was really special. And another memory that I have is um, my... My daughter loved apple juice, and so I would sometimes lure her to the nursing home with saying, hey, well, go get some apple juice with Mima. And so she would be excited about that. And she also loved to push her grandmother in the wheelchair when she got a little bit older. Um, But one of the fun things that they would do is they could throw the ball back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother had this big, it was like a soft globe. And my daughter would, at maybe age four, throw it to my mom. And my mom, she couldn't really speak in sentences, but she had um, her reflexes were good. And she would catch, and then she would just throw it back. And so they were playing these games and able to share some moments, even though there was so much loss. There was some wonderful connections also. Yeah, I think, you know, my daughter um, did that as well with my mom because she only knew my mom, you know, with dementia. Uh Um, And so she, she, you know, my daughter never had the loss. Um, And she she just looked at grandma with this this innocence and fun and, um, you know, they just kind of played together. Um, And and Danielle never never saw um, or never missed you know, because she didn't have it to begin with. And so for me, it, it took me a little while to kind of adjust that they both played intently together. Um, mm-hmm. They were, you know, they both liked coloring and they were both proud of their pictures just yeah. as equally and stuff. And it was and it was really cute. It made me um, realize how deep their relationship was and um how how beautiful it was and it and it made me learn how to kind of play and let go and not look at loss but look at the joy that's there just kind of how my daughter did um and that was that was a pretty beautiful beautiful lesson that is you know beautiful. to learn and on yet, that as you know it 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 comes and it goes because mm-hmm. there are you know both the loss and the joy it's funny, sometimes I can remember just pausing in the flow of a day and thinking, I am so grateful for my life and for my daughter and for my mother and for what we have. And just, I guess, the the awareness of the Alzheimer's kind of it keeps you aware that life is brief and that we only have each moment. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, Time, there would be times I'd drive home from the nursing home and just put my head on the steering wheel 
I pull over and I just start sobbing. So mm-hmm. it, there are both both sides, and um, yep. you know it well, I'm sure, as do the listeners. Yeah, and and both sides have to be validated and appreciated, I think, for what they are. And, you know, for me, I'm a firm believer that you can't have, um, you know, great joy without great loss. I mean, you know, yeah. you can't have highs without lows. And and so mm-hmm. um, other, otherwise they lose, each side loses its value. <laughs> you know, it's Absolutely. kind of that for, that barometer of, of weighing things out that's that's so critically important, um, yeah. you know, to do. I definitely do. felt my joy in life deepened as I allowed myself to feel the depth of my grief. Mm-hmm. And and did you expect that when you went in? I mean, when you when you were kind of in the balls of of that that loss. Definitely I, not. Definitely yeah, me neither. I, I just. In fact, I remember going to bed at some nights and just praying that God would just get me through each day because it was just so confusing and so scary and so awful, it seemed, at the time. I wasn't always able to see the beauty, and I just, particularly in the beginning. And as you know, in those early stages, and with my mom, as she was aware of herself not being herself, she was so emotionally distraught. And that was the hardest for me, to see her just so upset. Because once she progressed further in her disease, she um, sort of possessed a calmness and a peace. And so it was much easier to um, live with that. But the days when she was crying and upset and scared those days just left me a wreck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Vishal, I was just noting, you know, in his film, um, you know, one of, um, part of the film is about a, a mother and daughter's relationship too, and it's kind of central um, character is, is a young woman whose who's mom has Alzheimer's and it's, you know, very sensitive. And he's saying that um, your book seems like it'd be very inspiring and he's interested in asking, when you decided to write your book, how much time did it take you to, to pull it together? And, and, and knowing that this isn't your first time to the rodeo show that you've written before and you've written a lot, <laughs> that might make a difference too. But, but maybe it was different because it, it is, such a personal journey. Yes, um, this is a. I'm smiling here as I hear this question because this is maybe hard for some people to absorb. But the whole process of this book was about 20 years, um, and I began the book um, with journals in 1993. And I was just filling up journal after journal after journal. And as a writer, that's what I do and how I process the world. And it wasn't until I'd filled up a few of the journals and was partway into this that I thought, okay, I think this is this is more than just my journaling. This is a story that I need to um, shape into something that could other people could benefit from. Um, and... The years that my mother was 
going up and down and struggling. I was able to document all of that pretty easily. I had the time. And then when my daughter finally came around, the caring for both of them, I continued to write, but it was only in snippets here and there. And then I, I began editing and editing and editing. I had so many versions of this book. Um, but it wasn't until my, my daughter is now 12, and she I, I began teaching a writing class to her and one of her good friends because she wanted to write her own books. And as I was doing that, I thought, okay, now it's time for me to get serious and get this book. Um, I need to do more than teach. I need to live what a writer's life is because my mom was also a writer, and so I felt like I was sharing some of her life um, and her her joy through this writing class. And um, as I did that, I was able to inspire my daughter. She She actually has a couple of her own mystery books that are out, and it was an amazing journey to sort of pull the threads of, my mom's writing and mine and my daughter's all together. So, yes, it was a, a long, long process. Um, and I, I feel like I I emptied every bit of my lifeblood into it. And mm-hmm. I'm thankful that it's done. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, I have not finished my book. I'm working on a couple of them. But I, I can appreciate when you mm-hmm. said it, you know, it's 20 years. You know, I've been, I was on the journey for 30, and it's amazing what you what you learn or even what you think you learn. And then a few years yeah. later, it kind of twists and turns and molds on you, yeah. and you kind of, <laughs> you kind of like, oh, well, that isn't quite what I learned. <laughs> you know, it was really this, right. you know. And, and um, you, so you need step- to look through the lens of time and, and, as you say, see those shifts and changes because you learn so much more about yourself and your relationships uh, than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that you have um, you've grown as a person yourself um, through yeah. this process and, and, um, I, I, and as a better person, I would imagine? I hope so. <laughs> um, I, you know, I definitely, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about yourself in these terms. I mean, I, I was the worst of daughters and the best of daughters and everything in between. Um, I, it's funny because I feel like I put my mother through hell as a teenager, um, as most teenagers probably do. I mean, I, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to clean my room. I didn't want to do the dishes. I didn't want to do stuff. And she just had to push and push and push. And um, through the process of writing this book and living this journey, you know, I one time I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I've finally made up with my mom, uh, made up for all those dinners that I didn't want to help her with or things that I didn't want to do now that I'm cooking for her and cleaning for her. <laughs> and I, I wanted to do all those things really because I guess, you know, as a mother-daughter in these relationships, you know that you are always 
or you know you're never being the person that you want to be all the time, and so you mm-hmm. always have things you want to make up for. And I wasn't a horrible person, but I was not the daughter that I would have wished for her. I mean, she was such a dear and loving mother. She deserved um, all the best, and you know, I gave her a whole mixed bag of things. And so I would say I've learned a lot. My compassion has definitely grown, but I'm still a, a mix of um, good and bad. You know, I am who I am, and I, I wish I could always be. Maybe I have more insight now, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not. <laughs> I'm no nowhere near the the perfect loving person that I would like to be. Uh, maybe my aspirations are deeper, but um, mm-hmm. I still have the same stumbling blocks and same selfish behaviors. And, mm-hmm. and as you know, well, living with a, <laughs> a child also reminds you of your own foibles. So. Yep, yep. And if you don't <laughs> remind you, they will remind you for you. <laughs> exactly. has a question for you. He said, what is one suggestion um, you have for family caregivers who are stressed and broken with the day in and day out of caring uh, for someone with dementia? Wow. Um, Well, I have a couple suggestions. Um, The first one that came to mind when I heard this question was try to get a break. Um, I remember for myself being in a situation when my mother had sort of been on the brink of dying for, this sounds crazy, but for five or six years. And by the end of that period, I was I was a basket case. I was just... Um, in fact, my mother, she had fallen out of her wheelchair face first. She was in a, a nursing home, and she'd been in the hospital and had a huge bruising all over her face. And I went through that experience and just felt so awful, awful that I hadn't been there, awful that the nursing home had not done what they needed to do to keep her from falling but mostly I was blaming myself that I just had not been there day after day, you know, I, that I couldn't save her from this. And then about two weeks later, she had another fall, and it was the same thing. And so by the end of that experience, I was just, if I'd been blaming myself the first time, I was blaming myself even more the second time. And I probably was at the brink of a mental breakdown. But what saved me, not only wonderful friends who just gathered around me, but finally the realization that I could not save my mom from this. And knowing that and trusting really that God had her in his arms and no matter what awful things were happening, of course I wanted to be there and do what I could, but I needed to care for myself um, and step away a little bit and just 
try to rejuvenate my own spirit, and then I could mm-hmm. be there for her more fully. So that would be the number one suggestion. Don't think that it's up to you to fix everything or save your loved one from this because it's it's not you're not in control of that. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, um, um, if if they're not part, and I don't, I'm sure the listeners have all different, varied um, experiences, but being part of a community and um, my church community was hugely influential for me. I mean, they they gathered around me. They prayed for me. They brought me meals. They they knew what was going on, and um, just having friends who cared deeply and were invested. My writing community was also that way. They they all knew, and I, I could email them and just tell them quickly what was going on, if there was a, a high or a low, and they were right there with me to celebrate or grieve with me, and that often just kept me kept me going. Yeah, the 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 support is so important and I think so many times people do isolate themselves and it's yeah. it's just so and I mean I, I was one of those where I was too busy, I didn't have time and I thought it was selfish for me to take time and I I didn't have a clue how empty I had gotten. And then when when you realize it, it's like okay, I'm coming and filling up once a week now. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna make sure I get my my friend fix and my reboost and um, yeah. be- belong to life again. Because I I um, I kind of shut. I don't know if you did this, but I I kind of shut life out and mm-hmm. I created this very private world that I thought I was in control of. I, I let myself believe that that I had all these powers that I really didn't have, you know? Yeah. Um and, and looking back it's very silly, but I, I got I got very isolated and very intense um, you know, trying to trying to do the right thing. Um, not realizing that I was suffocating myself and probably my poor mom and dad in the process. <laughs> You know, yes. of it. I, I yeah. think it's natural, um, Lori, because there is so much to do. And so I know for me, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, my first reaction is, okay, I've got to cut cut off all these extras. But the extras mm-hmm. are really, you know, the life-sustaining forces. Um, and I, too, I was very fortunate to have a supportive family and siblings who were, you know, right there in there with me. And, you know, we would be on the phone daily sometimes, you know, sometimes multiple times during the day, and that was such a gift. But I, I do think it's natural to sort of cut yourself off. And if you're in the position of having to care give daily, and if the person is in that state where they are agitated. I mean, it's it truly is like caring for an overgrown toddler, and you've got to be on the go and aware every second of the day. And I remember there was a time I couldn't talk on the phone with um, if my mother was in the room or nearby because she was so um, nervous and kind of paranoid that I was 
talking about her, and even though that might be what I was doing, uh, that would just upset her further. And so that's also an isolating factor. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, um, Salisha's asking, did you ever reach out to, like, the Alzheimer's Association or Foundation or, or any of the, the formal organizations that are that are out there for dementia? I did. I did. In fact, the Alzheimer's Association was um, probably the main one that was um, available at that time, which was in the early 1990s. And the best thing or one of the best things that I got from them was basically a list of sort of typical behaviors and how to handle them, Um, just having the affirmation that um, it was okay to go along with them when uh, your loved one is, you know, off in another galaxy somewhere. And my father, for instance, if she was talking about something in 1940, he would try to bring her back to the present. And I was able to bring this list of um, behaviors and coping mechanisms to him and say, Daddy, you can't do that. You need to say, it's okay. You know, Mom, it's okay. Sure, we'll go see your dad, even though he died um, 60 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. So the Alzheimer's Association was very helpful to me in that. Good. Yeah, that's such a common um, issue in terms of what do I say when someone's passed away and the looping that happens and, you know, just getting people to understand it's not about right or wrong. It's not about the truth. It's about comfort. You know, yeah. and because you can't you can't rationalize, and um, and that's mm-hmm. hard for a lot of us to let go of. You know, um, with that process, yeah. I, I I know for myself, it was it wasn't easy, and and it was kind of a trial and error, and then it's like, oh, then I finally figured it out. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's really yeah. this it really took isn't me a little while, but it's funny. I I think I was the um. um it, I could do it a little quicker than some of my siblings because maybe because I'm a writer and I and I think I'm also just a little more wily than they are and they are so sweet and uh, honest and upfront that they just wanted to you know give mom the truth whereas I could very quickly sort of go into this fantasy world and um just join her there and because of that she started to rely on me for certain things and she distrusted them in certain you know at certain periods and mm-hmm. i would think this is just not right you know they are such wonderful people and but yet she's relying on me because i'm able to join her fantasy world but that mm-hmm. was just the way it was at different times and it's just kind of it's interesting and it's a challenge because I guess we all have to find our own way of how do we communicate and how do we, you know, some people just are not comfortable with not telling the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. But I could sort of, I was okay with pushing that aside and thinking this is not about truth, this is really about her comfort. Yep, yep. 
Now, there's another question wanting to know um, if you ever did any type of meditation or alternative things like music for yourself, you know, as as stress busters or, or maybe you're an avid runner or you're on a farm, maybe, you know, just hop on a horse and go. <laughs> did you, well, yeah. Did you, did you Actually, have some stress busters for yourself? <laughs> My horseback riding at the time was, and not just horseback riding, but um, the book actually has the backdrop of the horse, or of the book is my horse farm. I, I taught horseback riding lessons, and I had my own horse. Um, but just being on the farm, I would take time to escape. Just I'd go down to the barn, listen to the horses eating. I'd stare out at the horses on the in the pasture, and that just soothed my soul and, and fed me um, and just kind of gave me a sense of, all right, all is right with the world. You know, nature is continuing in its course. Um, and and riding, of course, it just got my mind off of the, the present craziness that I was living through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, horses were a huge uh, gift to me during that time. Well, and I have uh, some friends who have actually done some um, healing with their horses. They say oh, yeah. that the, that the horses just know your stress level, and when you kind of lean into them, they just kind of take it, and there's this, yeah. like, quiet time, and then um, you the people say they can actually feel it leave their body, and then the horse goes off and just kind of kicks and sputters and spouts, and like gets rid of the energy, mm. and and I I don't know I have not seen it um, personally, but I've had a couple of people explain that to me, and I'm like, oh, what a beautiful thing! Um, yeah, you know, to, I, I got to, goosebumps as you were talking because that's really um, the relationship that I have always had with horses, um, even growing up. Um, if there was stress, you know, as a teenager, going out to the stables. I would just lean into my horse. I would just have my hand on his neck and his his eyes, his presence, his just there's something majestic about the horse. That whole presence would just absorb whatever mm-hmm. whatever was going on. And mm-hmm. and it did feel like it was not totally leaving me, but it was being shared in this way. And mm-hmm. and in the sharing, it was as if the horse was carrying some of my burden. And it, it, yeah. it choked me up, actually, to um, to say that because I, I've had that gift throughout my life of horses mm-hmm. doing that for me. Yeah, they said that they when they leaned into the horse kind of by the neck, uh, they actually wrapped their head around their neck and just like nuzzled in, just yeah. like this intense cuddle. And yeah. um, it, was, it was just unbelievable. They said absolutely, you know, they've got this big, huge animal and it just melted their heart. 
and yeah. um, was just so compassionate and so kind. And, you know, I know with, with dogs, I mean, I, I know my dogs can tell any mood anybody's in before they even walk in the door. You know, they're just, they just seem to have an awareness, you know, of yeah. things. And, and I think all of us have that ability, but in the rush of everyday life, we we tend to forget about it sometimes. Yeah, you know, with, absolutely. With I actually have a poem called How to Grieve um, that I wrote after my father died. And it was an experience that I had that I just wrote up where I I went down to the barn and I sat down in one of the pastures because I was feeling so numb. And a horse, it was actually a neighbor's horse, but he was in our pasture, he just, gradually and very slowly came and walked down and sort of stood beside me and eventually very he could feel whatever I was feeling and I was feeling sort of nothing at the time. I just I wanted to grieve but I didn't know how. And as he came up to me and he put his his muzzle close to me and eventually actually um licked me, I think, and um, and just as you were describing before, he took everything um, that I was feeling, and then he he ran off, and it was just the most beautiful experience. Um, so yes, I, I definitely feel like horses and and all animals, um, particularly cats and dogs, just because I've been around them, they have that incredible intuitiveness. Mhm. Uh, it's such a gift. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, when you're going, I think one of the toughest things about this disease can be that that feeling of isolation or loneliness that no one understands and part of it is no one understands because we don't tell them, you know, we don't we don't it's or it's not a comfortable environment to share. I mean, you know, the list can go on on so many different so many different levels. Um that it's very very interesting to to see and and to be able to watch and so if it's a if it's a pet you know or if it's a person it really doesn't make any difference when you just don't feel alone yes absolutely it's just just huge um terry is noting um a lot of the time the need of the caregiver um is to be on their own um and she says wanting an Alzheimer's person to be what the caregiver needs sometimes overrides the compassion of living um, in a non-linear reality of the Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's person. That's really true. You know, a lot of times we're trying to get that person with with dementia back in our box. You know, our little our little comfortable suitcase. You know, that we yeah. that we know the right. territory of, and and it doesn't work that way. You know, we have to. Um, jump out into the playground and, and um, you know, rework our design. And, and I've said this many times on the show, sometimes we try so hard to make them fit our routine, we have no idea how much frustration it's causing us and them and how much time we're burning when we're the ones that can change. And then it, it you know, all of a sudden everybody feels in control and comfortable if if we adapt um yeah. but we're yeah. so scared of of um of 
making changes you know it's not it's something here in the u.s you know we're we're set in our routines and um we're worried about other people's perceptions i mean there's so much stuff that comes into into play with that and um you know for me personally and i don't know about about you ann but um the teaching and the the learning curve of flexibility and spontaneity and focusing on joy and comfort was huge for me in this process. And I always thought I was kind of a multitasker and I'm looking at things from a zillion different angles. And and I was, but I but I always had a preferred route. You know? Yes. And I and I always we all. Yes. And I and I tried to get everybody in my life to go on my preferred route. And yes. And I yeah. just, I I really, uh, even my daughter says sometimes to me now, gosh, it really doesn't matter to you, does it? You know, she just is. And I'm like, no, because, I mean, you can do things in so many different ways and still have the same outcome. You know, it's like, what what is the outcome that you're looking for? And sometimes we forget about how our reactions are going to cause an outcome we don't want because we're so Absolutely. fixed on on our way is the right way that we forget about the outcomes. But when you focus on the outcomes of what do you want the relationship to look like, it it totally shifts things, or it did it did yeah. for me, you know, yeah. in a big, big, big way. Um, can you tell us, um, you know, why Lake George, New York, was so significant to your mother, and and how did that play um, into her illness? Yes. I would love to. Can I first just say that I had a memory of something that you were just talking about, how I so I thought I had this great idea of how I would bring my mother to the beach. I'll get to Lake George right after this. Um, and we would have this wonderful um, just mother-daughter moment. And I was on that path. I knew what was right. I was going to do this. This was going to be so special. And I did get her there, wheelchair and all, wheeled her up onto a pier so that it was a lovely spring day. And I thought, oh, she's just going to love this. She'll get to see the water. It's going to revive her. I will have my mother back for a few moments. And, of course, you can imagine, it turned out, to not be that at all. Um, I got her up on the pier, and actually my sister had come with me. And at first, my mother's cold. Uh, Then she has to go to the bathroom. Even though she has diapers and she doesn't usually know she needs to go, she had to go, and so we had to take her back. And it just turned out to be the most... um, difficult experience. It was not anything what I had dreamed of. And so the next day, I actually adjusted my expectations and thought, okay, instead of that, let me just take my mom for a little drive and and stop somewhere and let her just be who she is. Mm -hmm. I was all ready to talk to her, even though she could hardly speak at this point. And I uh, we were parked, actually, overlooking the sound of Moorhead City, and it was a place that we used to walk to all the time when uh, she was healthy. And we sat in the car, and I 
started to say something, and I looked over, and Mom was sleeping. And I thought, okay, I, once again, I've you know made this big effort to do something special for me, and Mom is doing what she needs to do. And I thought, let me just be quiet, let her rest. And then when she woke up, we did have kind of a special interchange. Um, but it was it really needed to be on her terms and not mine. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just totally get what you were saying before and how you know, we, in this society particularly, feel like there's a formula for everything. But one of the things I do feel like I have learned and need to continue learning is that the formula goes out the window with Alzheimer's. And really with life, there is no formula. And if we can believe that, I think we're in much better, a much better position. Now, back to Lake George. Um, mm-hmm. Lake George was my mother's most uh, beloved place in the world. Um, she grew up there spending her summers. Um, her mother and father lived in New York City while she was a child, and they would take the train up in the summer, she and her mother and siblings, and they would spend the summer while my father, my, her, her father would work in New York City. And uh, ever since that time, her, um, she and my, my family, we would spend our summers, not our whole summer, we'd spend a week or two vacationing at Lake George. And it's a beautiful place. Um, mountains ring the lake. The water is clear. You can see all the way down to the bottom in many places. And my mother just knows this place intimately. And as she was becoming more and more ill and losing touch with um, reality, basically. She often thought she was at Lake George. She would say things that made us know she was, um, in her mind, sailing or waiting for her father to take her on a hike through the woods to go pick up arrowheads um, from Joshua's Rock. And so that place, it was a comfort to her, and it was a comfort to us, um, her family, to know that she was returning to this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it was confusing and scary to know she wasn't with us, to know that she was there, it was a comfort. Um, and we took her there um, for her last, her very last trip, when she was, I believe she was 80 years old, and she was in pretty bad shape by then, advanced Alzheimer's, um, spending most of her time in her wheelchair, um, not able to speak pretty, uh, she could speak but not complete sentences most of the time. And during this trip, she really came back to life for brief periods, um, she would sit on the, the sun porch. We, uh, she owned an, an old house up there, and there was a porch that overlooked um, some of the property, and you could see the water 
from a distance, and we would sit out there, and she would listen to the birds, and she actually got up from her wheelchair and began walking around, and she went on canoe rides with my brother, and uh, one time a cousin came by, and he was just visiting her and talking, entertaining her with stories of aunts and uncles who had lived um, at Lake George, because we've have generations of our family have lived in this same area for for years. And by the end of his visit, he came over and whispered to me, your mom's in better shape than I am. (laughs) I just remember thinking, this is amazing that um, this place has incredible restorative powers for her. And yet, um, if she wasn't around family and familiar things, um, she might be walking around the house without clothes on. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just no telling what she would do. But she, that place and those memories somehow sustained and nurtured her, and it it was such a gift that it, it brought back pieces of her that we thought had been lost. And so at least for that brief period of time we did we had the gift of um of our mom back and it was it was amazing oh cool that's a that's a neat story and i think you know i think there's lots of those out there if we look for them you know but so many times we don't we don't always look for the the stories at hand and that the influence of our environment and and what it does you know, for us, it's just a huge, huge piece um, in in terms of, of of what can happen. Um, and again, bringing that that calmness and and you know lucidity, you know, back into our lives. And who knows what causes it? Um, but just being grateful um, yeah. for those for those moments. Um, I have a friend. Um, well, Harry Urban, who has been living with dementia, and one of his, he has a favorite place that he just loves to go and visit. And um, I want to say it's in Pittsburgh, and um, it's it's uh, skipping my mind right now, but he just says he's just so at home there. It's just so comfortable that he just, he just feels like he comes alive every time he goes there, um, and that his dementia kind of goes on vacation when he's in that space. And so it's it's kind of it's kind of neat, and I think that we need to be aware of times like that and situations yes. um, because it's it can be a brilliance to to everyone. We have a, another um, question here that I, um, if you don't mind answering, they were wondering about um, you know if your mom ever had to wear like depends or you know adult diapers and was that a problem and how did you how did you handle that at all they they um, have run into problems with um, both male and females um, having a difficult time with that is that something that you ever encountered oh, with your mother yes with, with yes yes and it was definitely a problem. Um, my mom had incontinence. Um, it, she had near incompet- incontinence for many years just from having four children. Um, but mm-hmm. once she got dementia, um, it became much worse. 
and she basically refused to wear diapers. So she was wearing Depends, but those did not, they were not enough. Um, and there were there were times that, uh, one time in particular, and this is on uh, the, ec- or in the excerpt that is on your website, or the blog site, mm-hmm. um, where she was visiting me, and she was, I was just drowning in wet clothes because I couldn't get her in diapers and she was constantly wetting herself. She was wetting the bed. Uh, There was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was awful. And the way we dealt with it, sort of a non-way, that same week we had her uh, made an appointment to go to the hospital for an evaluation. And we had left the house without enough depends, and she actually had an accident at the hospital. And the doctor who was going to see her sort of looked at us like, what's going on here? And I was at the end of my rope at that point, and my my brother was sort of like, well, that's kind of Anne's responsibility since you know I was the girl in the family and um eventually a nurse came and was able because it was some it was someone who was not in the family he was able to get her in a diaper and since that time she began to wear, to wear diapers mm-hmm. but we as family members could not get her into one she just simply refused and it just took another outside person to sort of, I guess, do it matter-of-factly, like, this is what you need, and and she was willing to go along. But Mm -hmm. it was a crazy time. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one. I remember when we were transitioning with my mom, you know, it was just the embarrassment and she didn't want that and everyone's going to know, and then it just it just got to a point where she stopped fighting it. Um, and, and I think for my mom, actually, she got to a point where she didn't, she didn't, uh, feel that it was embarrassing anymore. Her, you know, I, I talk about, uh, when she hit the stage when her ego left the building and, yeah. and, and then things were much easier, um, to deal with, but we kind of went through that with the whole doing the bra and the independence and she couldn't do it and she'd get mad and struggle and, you know, I mean, you have all those little things that that just change over time, and you want to you want to be dignified, and you want them to be safe and clean, and and right. um, and stuff. But it, yeah, and it's 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 uh, it's a tough it's a tough piece. It's a tough road to hoe um, sometimes with that. Um, is there? I can't believe we we only have about seven minutes left. Is there another excerpt that you would like to to share with the with our audience at all? The book is just a beautiful book. Again, it's called Motherhood Lost and Found. Oh, I I do have one. I would love to read, and it's actually um, it it comes right after the excerpt that's on your blog. Um, and I will just go ahead and, and start reading it. Um, my mother is staying with me because she is um, getting ready to go to the hospital, and I I don't know what's going on. I just know that she's not normal. 
and I'm in the midst of uh, trying to do my normal life. The next day, I have a deadline for an article. It's about a woman who rides dressage. She recently moved to the area and was long-listed for the United States equestrian team. Mom knows about horses and dressage. She picks me up at the stables almost every day from the time I was 10 until I turned 15. We sit on the couch and I tell her about the article. We talk about my old pony. She remembers how Cochise used to stand in the aisle with his eyes closed as I brushed him. She closes her own eyes and stretches her arms out in front of her, mimicking my pony. She always does this when she talks about Cochise. There's a peaceful, relaxed smile on her lips. When I outgrew my pony she started and started riding bigger horses, Mom began taking lessons once a week on Cochise. She told me she loved those trail rides with Mrs. Moxon, the woman who taught her to ride. She would walk or trot slowly through the Panama jungle, listening to the exotic birds. Cochise always took care of her. Maybe it was one of the few times she felt free, free of family obligations. Talking about horses seems to calm her. Pressing my hand on her shoulder, I tell her I need to work on the article for just a few minutes and we can visit some more after I'm done. She gets up and starts picking up the breakfast dishes on the table. Mom, don't worry about those. Oh, it's no problem, she answers, opening the refrigerator door and various drawers. I wonder where I'll find dirty dishes when she's gone. I hear her at the sink, turning water off and on, fiddling with the knobs on the dishwasher, opening and closing more drawers. When I can stand it no longer, I get up and lead her back to the couch. She does not want to stay there. She keeps glancing toward the bedroom, the bathroom, pointing to things I can't see outside the window. Finally, I resort to reading her draft of the article to keep her sitting still. She listens politely for a few minutes, then turns her head as if she has just remembered something. She gets up and wanders back into the kitchen. Mom, can I read this to you one more time? Maybe you can tell me if it sounds okay. Sure, dear. She makes a valiant attempt to focus. Her forehead wrinkles and her eyes narrow. Like a hyperactive child trying to be good, she presses her hands into her lap, anchoring her body to the cushion. It's the first time she's been still all day. Her eyes close and her head falls back against the couch. She breathes softly. The phone rings and Mom jolts awake. It's someone from Duke Hospital. The person on the phone asks if my mother is in the room. I try to speak as if I'm talking about someone else. Yes, that's right, I say, smiling at Mom and placing my hand on her arm. She smiles back at me and covers my hand with hers. I answer a few more questions obliquely but manage to arrange a time for Mom to see the doctor. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. with Dr. Gold. Yes, thank you very much. My voice is formal, business-like. Tension from the past weeks and months lifts as I imagine the silver-haired man wearing large glasses, sitting behind a desk, listening to my mother tell her story. He will be kind and thoughtful. He'll ask her to stay so he can observe her for a while. The doctor will make some slight adjustment to her medication, and within a few weeks, my mother will become herself again. I will be able to sleep, 
and my family's life will return to normal. We're all set, I say, hanging up the phone. Mom cocks her head to the side, stares at me and asks, Have you seen my daughter? Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing um, that story. That was very, very brilliant. The book is absolutely wonderful that Ann Capanella has written, Motherhood Lost and Found. I highly suggest that that you get the book. And what's the best uh, um, website for them to go to? Is that uh, your your own website there at uh, annecampanella.com? They can go to that website, www.annecampanella.com, or the book can be purchased on Amazon also. Okay. Either way. Okay, and those links are on our our page um, for the radio show and also on the blog. Well, I thank you so much for your time, and um, I look forward to uh, following your other writings. Thank you, Lori. This was such a pleasure just to, to talk about this whole situation. Great. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. And I I want to also thank our audience um, and uh, Vishal uh, from India uh, trying so hard to be part of the show today. We'll talk to you next week. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.